Hey everyone, it's Justin, and thank you for joining us today on Belly Up to the Blackboard podcast. This is episode 19. Today, we are honored to have a former coach and, and teacher of Chris and I's, John Elkin. He is um, going to talk to you today about coaching to leadership, and as a former uh, teacher and a former coach, and now he's a mentor and friend to Chris and I, and currently the superintendent at a high school in, um, or a school district in eastern Iowa. He's going to talk about some memories that Chris and I have um, of him as our teacher and just some funny anecdotal stories, lessons he learned over about the last 30 years in education. And then also he's going to provide some suggestions and navigating this crazy teaching career that is in the 21st century. We just want to wish you all a happy new year. We appreciate you listening to us for the past year and, and helping us in these growing pains and definitely keep those emails and tweets coming on our social media. And we look forward to having a great 2024 with you as well. Take care and we'll see you guys next time. Welcome to Belly Up to the Blackboard, a podcast focused on the reality of teaching and other musings from and about professionals, hosted by Chris Munn and Justin Russell. Welcome, everybody. Can can you guys hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay. Yeah. I can't hear my... Oh, I got turned up. Okay. So we're, uh, <clears throat> we're trying some stuff. Now we're videoing. We actually got it. Um, we do have a special guest today. Special guest, yes. Special, special. Interviewing <laughs> with John Elkin. Welcome. Hey, how are you guys doing? Good. How are you? Good. It's like I haven't been talking for the last half an hour. So hey, <laughs> hey, nice to you guys. We're learning. We're figuring out. We'll yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, it's 30 minutes enough to catch up from, what, five or six years? Has it been that many it's, since we? It's been a while. Speaking of a long time, right, we've known you for, I was doing this the other day, 26, 26 years? 27. 27, 27 years. Oh, my gosh. 26, math is hard. 26 years. 1997, so do the math. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. 20, uh, 26. We're right. Wait, no, we got to count that year. 27. No, we got to count that. Yeah. yeah good yeah. thing you're our English teacher and not our math teacher. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Good thing. That was Mr. Post. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mrs. Robert. He has a good memory. Mrs. Oh, yeah. Robert. Yes. Oh, when I, uh, when I started, she was still there. So yep. she was a colleague. It was fun. She's, she's a lot. She's hilarious <laughs> when you're not a student. Yeah. We're all human. Remember that back in the day. That is right. We all <laughs> right. know that now. Well, so. there was a different, uh, different universe, as you know, and yeah, because you, uh, you would definitely know because you're a consultant too now. Is that what you do? You're kind of have a. So, well, obviously, full time. I'm a superintendent. Yep. Right. And then uh, starting like a year and a half ago, but we didn't start taking off until earlier this year, back in like February. I started a consulting business with a longtime friend of mine who just retired from the Des Moines Police Department as the captain of the Internal Affairs, the yeah. Office of Professional Conduct. So basically, long story short, we, we provide professional learning on how to conduct thorough and um, effective investigations for administrators. Oh, wow, yeah. Um, because it's, it's a new world on mm-hmm. all the stuff that administrators have to do, especially with all the complaints and the yeah. allegations of misconduct. So, yeah. can, you, um, can you tell us what the biggest thing is you see? With administrators, like what's the biggest issue or a trend that you see coming out now? Well, the big thing is like nobody, 
nobody, we, we found in this because I've had to deal with some unique things in my career once I became an administrator and so you develop a skill set. There's no classes on this. Mm-mm. Like, no, and, and no grad coursework or special coursework, you take a class on that. It's like you become an administrator, it's like, oh, Chris Munn cheated on a test, so go investigate <laughs> or do, you know, whatever the grievance is. Yeah. Chris Munn would never do that. But my never. point is, I'm like, how do you learn how to do it? Like, just go investigate. And it's yeah. one of those things where I was in some situations where some lawyers, state lawyers, insurance yeah. lawyers, our own district lawyer was like, hey, you're really good at this. You should probably teach other administrators how to document and yada, yada, yada. So yeah. I reached out to my good friend, Tony Knox, Captain Tony Knox, and I was like, hey, I think we have an opportunity because we could do a unique blend of law enforcement, best practices and strategies with my administrative background. So yeah, that's a whole new different role, that's for sure. Yeah. Do you do you believe that, because uh, you're, you're also, when you first started, you were social studies and language arts, correct? Uh, well, just strictly language arts. I do have a, a history minor, but I never really used it other than incorporate into my, my English lesson plans and those type of things. Like Heroes, Myths, and Legends. <laughs> Heroes, Myths, and Legends. Yeah. <laughs> well, we went sideways real fast, didn't yeah. we? We just started this thing. And, That's well, usually how we, this goes. We like to bring up your past because it'll be funnier. <laughs> um, no, I was I was just going to ask, do you, do you believe that like your background language arts really did help you with that idea of documenting, communicating, kind of that procedural process type stuff or is it truly just over the years of experience from teaching you were able to like you said build that skill set it's a combination of both i mean there's things that i did as a classroom instructor that i never did as a student like i was never a yearbook or newspaper newspaper advisor when i was in high school myself and anymore especially in, in the job of a superintendent you have to be a chief of communication right now and in, in in the 2020s you have to tell your narrative and had to be very proactive. And if you look at the new Iowa standards for school leaders, the ISO standards, so much is built on like communication, those type of things. Yeah. And it wasn't like, and I was a high school graduate in 1990. I didn't know who my superintendent was. <laughs> I knew, I, I kind of knew who it was. I went to, you know, a large four A school, but like his daughter was in my class. But otherwise right. I didn't know who, I never saw the guy. Right. And now there's different expectations for a 21st century leader than there were 30 years ago and communicating effectively. So you go back to my, my roots in the classroom on, you know, newspaper class and right. those type of things. Those build a skill set on just beginning on how to effectively communicate, which you're getting better. Everything's about live evolution. I'm sure we're going to talk about that today. Yeah. You guys aren't the same people you were 27 years ago. Neither am I. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is just, it's all interconnected. I've yeah. done so much in my career that, like, I look back now, I'm like, it wasn't always fun, but it, 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 everything's a new opportunity to build a skill set. Like, yeah. Whether I was a, a drama sponsor, a tag coordinator for a couple of years. And, you know, now when I, I'm my interview for positions, they've asked like, well, what, what's the role of fine arts versus athletics? And I'm like, well, let's talk about that. Yeah. I was a football and track coach in the, in the, in the, in the afternoon, in the morning, I would do plays and musicals. Right. I did newspaper and yearbook. I, those type of things. I have a son, I have two sons and they live in both worlds. I have one who's in a fine arts, yeah. one who's into uh so there's a place for everybody. So if you get your experiences, if you know everything that you've done in education, that should build. You don't have a career until you look back. Right. And yeah. These are experiences that help build your career. So yeah. So I know we kind of got off track there, but no, um, that's good. That's yeah. the most on track we usually are. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so first and foremost, superintendent, but then yeah, consulting business is it's twenty. The twenty twenty is very interesting, as we all know. Good. Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. So that kind of touches on the first question we're going to ask, like, so how has your teaching philosophy evolved 
over the years? And then what are some of the key principles that guide your approach in education? Well, before you even answer that question, aren't we going to talk about like how we all know each other and yeah, how we, we got well, here? You know, I didn't know how <laughs> professional you wanted to be. <laughs> Oh, so, well, he, he does present. Yeah, he does presentations. He probably has an agenda already made up in the background, and <laughs> no. he's already evaluating us. <laughs> how about how about you run this? No. <laughs> hey, this is a special one to me because you guys have been asking me for a while to do something. Yeah, like, okay, yeah. It's all about timing, but like you know, going back to the beginning, you're my first. You're but you're you guys are very special to me because you're my. I call my first four year boys. I still talk about you guys. Yeah. You yeah. guys are men now with families. You're not that younger, much younger than me, yeah. but you're the yeah. first. Uh, class of uh, yep. student athletes or activities that I I say put through high school, yeah. freshman through senior year. Yep. These so, are always going to be special to me. So you were at a school before we met. How long? So how long were you yep. at at that school? I started my career at Peyton Sheridan Jefferson Scranton. I actually taught English seven through twelve English at Peyton Sheridan, but coached at Jefferson Scranton, which is now Green County. Green yep. County, yep. As they can tell it. Yeah, I think that's where Brian Phillips ended his career at. I really saw. So. Um, yep. so I was I, I was there for two years. I served my first two years there, and then opportunity to come back to Des Moines area. And I was obviously at Fidel High School for seven seven years, yep. and that place is pretty dear to me because not only do I have um, some long standing relationships with people like you, but yep. Obviously, because um, my current wife, my wife, my current wife, my wife, my wife I'm <laughs> now, her sister was in my class. I yeah. think she was a classmate of yours. Yep. And uh, she, introduced, she introduced me to my current wife, my only wife, so Jamie. So obviously, <laughs> yeah. you know, I have a family because of that. So it was special to me because, yeah. you know, I was there for seven years, did a lot of different things, met my future wife there, and we have a family because of that. So Fadel was really good to me. and. It was always fun. Of course not. Nothing's always a blast, but like I have nothing but good memories. I look back now. Right. So, so. okay. So how old, cause, and I'll get, how old were you when you, when you came to the, when we met? Excuse me. I had to do the math on that to make sure. So 1997, I was born in 71, but 26. So 26. Okay. So I was 26 years old, uh, which was, it was my third year in teaching. So. Yeah. Cause it's weird. Like coaching you guys. as a student, like you don't think about, how close you actually are in age wise, right. To, to your teachers. Right. Yeah. And I, one of our coaches for, for track, um, we're talking and she's lower thirties and it's Bree. She's been on mm-hmm. our, our podcast before, but I was thinking, man, when she was in high school, I was already teaching. And you just yeah. like, there's that disconnect. Sometimes you don't realize that there's not that big of an age gap sometimes nope. between who's teaching you and, um, yeah. you know, yourself in high school until like you yeah. get older. Cause we're not that f- we're not that much younger than you are. Well, and then there's no. also the opposite too, right? Like you were a newbie coach and uh, I'm sure there were some teachers who were long in the tooth, right? And the, the comparisons <laughs> or the things they were trying to tell you and teach you and you're like, yeah, I'm trying to do this, you know. Um, I'm sure you right. experienced a lot of different things that way. Yeah, and I think that's one of the biggest challenges for any educator is typically – you're not very much, you're four to five years older than the students who start teaching if you're secondary, obviously, yeah. elementary is totally different. And that, that probably had a lot of impact on how I was early on because, you know, you take your experiences from your practice and the student teaching experiences. And I had a really good um, cooperating teacher. I did my student teaching at Waukee. I'm still good friends with her. Oh, good. And she was like, you have to make sure there's a clear separation, especially, I'm just going to say, when you're a male teacher, those type of things and these kids are, you know, not very much, because you guys were kids at that point in time, students were not very much younger than you. Yes. And like, some of the kids, like, you know, like, 
being a coach, I want to wrestle with you and stuff. You're like, you know, you're like, I'm four to five years older than you. And in yeah. a way, it's like, you have to do a clear separation. And sometimes I've seen over the years, some in my 20th year being an administrator on not having a clear line on that. And that's the mm-hmm. dichotomy of leadership. You want to be close to people, but not too close to people. Right. And if you blur that line, especially when you're on future, it can sink you out. It can cause problems. And, mm-hmm. you know, my biggest mistake, I'll go back now, so I do value relationships and believe relationships form everything. But early on, I was more hardcore because I was like, I'm not that much older than you. And sometimes I think students mistake that for you. Like, I'm not here to be your friend. I want to yeah. be friendly and have a great relationship. But like, I was more hardcore than I am now because like, I'm going to be their dad now. Sometimes <laughs> right. yeah, it was like, there's, there's, there's a clear separation now. Yeah. So I'm, you know, 50 years old and you're 26 years old. Yeah. I started my teaching career at 20, mm-hmm. I was 24. Mm-hmm. Um, it was like, some of these kids were like, you know, 18, 19 years Correct. old. Like, yeah, I mean, they, they, they see you as them, like, you're just a punk. <laughs> um, I'm four years older than you, so. Well, yeah. and I think that's a good, you know, good advice is that you, and you're saying, like, early in your career to late in your career now, but, like, even early in, um, like, that first year, you have to set those standards and you have to make sure that, mm-hmm. you know, you got to be harder on the kids at the beginning, and then you can kind of loosen the reins once they understand there is that separation. If you if you come in trying to be their friend and you know buddy buddy, then you hit that second semester and all of a sudden you're, you know you're trying to rein in this behavior that you really essentially created because you didn't put the standards or you know you set those um, expectations early on in your career. Yeah. And when you're talking about like yeah. how now you're older and somebody's father, now we have kids in that <laughs> we went to school with their parents and they're in, you know they're in the school Classes, now and yep. tell you what that makes you feel old sometimes though. In it. It, well, and it's yeah. like you said, a dichotomy of some kind of boundaries too. Because again, if you know their parents in the context of we used to drive, you know, down Second uh, Avenue, lighting out bottle rockets out of a car. I did, and, <laughs> and there's their kid, and you're like, oh, well, that's a completely different relationship. Because, like you said, I have to come on strong now. Make sure there's a boundary separation between the the guy you know that used to come over and hang out with your dad, right, or mom. Um, it, to this being your teacher and being the adult in this situation. So, uh, but I, th- I think that this is a good segue to something I've been really wanting to ask, not just you, but an administrator in general and someone with your experience. So if you had to put a teacher's career in like phases, um, because that's what a lot of people do, you know, those first five years, if you were to kind of put that in a phase, what types of trends or things would you say as advice? So like the first five years, like you said, really important to set a boundary, right? And set that idea of you are here as the person to build a relationship, but there's a fine line. Um, but what would be the second phase or the third phase of, of a teacher's career? Or what should they be doing um, as you think about that? Now that you're an administrator and if you're a coach, you know, coaching somebody through their career, uh, what would the next 5, 10, 15 years kind of look like in segments? That's a, that's a really good question. Because I would, if you would ask me what, what's the first stage, I would say that first one to five to seven years is like setting, setting the path of your career, like how you're going to be. And I'll say right now, early on, I've always learned to, what to do by, you know, by maybe getting, getting your butt kicked first and falling <laughs> down. So my first year in teaching, there was a group of seniors. It was my very first year in teaching. And I was four years older for the most part. And I didn't set the boundary and it caused problems. I had to come back my second year and be like, now this is the way it's going to be because I want to be successful. Mm-hmm. And that's why when I went to Fadel, I was probably a much improved teacher, even though I still had a lot to learn in office my first year. So I, I think your first five years or so is, is like 
trying to find your niche, mm-hmm. you know, trying to like just establish your career, establish like what kind of teacher you want to be, those type of things, the educator. I think your next, we'll just say six to 10 years is really, is really discovering that continuous improvement. Oh, I mean, and cause, you know, the pedagogy has changed a lot mm-hmm. over the years and I was never a big copy paste person anyway. Like this, this is what we used last year. Always trying to get better. Right. I really believe that next phase, I'm going to say five to 10 or, or six to 15 ish a year is that continuous improvement. And that, that's a lot of times you discover like, am I going to, am I going to stay in this role? Am oh, I going to yeah. obviously, I say advance, you know, what, you know, you have opportunities now, instructional coaches, you know, administrators, those type of things. And a lot of it's not determined by you. It's determined by your experiences and people you run into. Yeah. Because I never had any idea to become an administrator until Cindy Fish and even at that time, Richard Hutchison were like, hey, there's some things I see in you. Because it's usually other people see things in you to encourage you right. uh, some of those experiences. And then obviously, as you, as you phase into the, I'm going to call it phase three, which is going to say you're going to probably set set your career boundaries for the rest of your career, what, what, what that looks like to do yeah. that. So to me, it's always about continuous improvement and always trying to find ways to get better. Obviously you guys have been in teaching now for, I'm going to say not quite 20 years, probably about 15 years or so. Yeah. yeah pretty close. About right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. And as you know, it's changed a lot from year one to year now. Yeah. And obviously COVID did a lot for that, but just, it's not like it was when you were in school. I think that's the biggest mistake we made. And that's going to be the biggest one I made. I know. And I'll talk about Chris Munn here in a little bit. And I publicly apologize to him when it comes to grading practices. But the way we were taught is not the way that you teach current students. Right. Yeah. And it's just no different than like the way we were raised, the way I was raised by my dad would not fly now in today's um, in raising children, my own children. Yeah. Well, and that's where it's as a teacher, like, and obviously we teach where we went to school and, you know, we've talked about that before, but when I look in the halls, I'm like, and there's the behaviors, like I, this wouldn't, this would not have, you know, this wouldn't have been okay in when we were in school, you know, like I didn't want to step out of line. Cause if I walk down that English hallway, <laughs> there's you, there's Pez and then there's Crippen mm-hmm. and not that you guys would, you know, physically do anything to it, but like, you just did not want to step out of line. Cause of that respect of those teachers. Right. And I think part of that too, and we can touch on this later about um, the retention of, of, of teachers is that we had you guys, you were there for our whole experience mm-hmm. in high school. So we knew the expectations and it seems like now with turnover, kids are there longer than teachers. So those expectations either not there or they feel like they're running it because right. they've been there longer. And there's, it's, it's hard to rein in some of those behaviors with kids with that turnover. Yeah. And I would say stability. And I'm sure you've seen this coach with being an administrator as well as that turnover is, I mean, I remember being in middle school, even elementary, and we would hear there's, oh, that's not going to fly when you get to the high school, right? Or so-and-so is definitely in English, not going to allow. And granted, you know, like you said, it was your first year when we got to the high school. So we hadn't necessarily heard of you, but I do know as we got older, Chris and I, freshmen, incoming freshmen would be like, hey, how's, you know, Mr. Elkin or how does this teacher operate? And it was just, it was one of those deals where you, you really do learn the expectations way before you get there. So, yeah. Um, and speaking of expectations, when you were interviewing for Seidel, like what are some of the things you had heard about the district or was there, did you really have no knowledge of what 
the students were like or the kind of the academics or was it one of those deals where you're like, hey, I want to move back to Des Moines. I'm going to apply to 15 different, (laughs) which is fine, too. Um, I just always interested how people land at Seidel. You know, that's actually that when you asked me that you you got me. (laughs) <laughs> because so I, I was, you know, I grew up in the Quad Cities, South North Iowa, 4A school, 1,300 kids, yeah. 320 kids in my class, whatever. Go to Drake, Des Moines area. So I'm in, you know, Des Moines area for five years, whatever. Red shirt year, just so you know. <laughs> um, and then I go to rural Iowa. I go to, I, I teach at one, I did seven small schools in Iowa at the time. And then Jefferson Scranton, I coached there and those type of things. So you, you got to understand, like, when you're, me and you're in the middle of nowhere, Iowa, for the most part. And it was a great place, mm-hmm. but like it was only my age. No guys, no girls, no <laughs> nothing. I'm like, I'm gonna get back to the Moines area. I'll get back to the Moines area. And this is, you know, 27 years ago right. where there was, it was much harder to get a job. It was, yeah. I mean, now mm-hmm. you can name wherever you want to go. Mm-hmm. And we had played you guys in football. So when I was <laughs> yep. coaching on Jefferson Scranton, we played, um, I, mean, I, mean, I actually remember my current brother-in-law dusty you know i remember yep. him because he's a big yep. tight end i remember mark, mark bear which i run into occasionally yep. and i just remember that an opportunity came open at cdl because the yearbook rep i worked with the company was like hey here's a job open in des moines area said i'm like oh i know that school we played them in football they're pretty good because <laughs> you guys sure beat us my my uh, the 1996 i think we played jefferson we played uh Seidel when i was at jefferson and like Seidel came out and they were beating us like I want to say 20, 21, nothing at halftime. And yeah. Mark Bear was running all over us. Yep. Oh yeah. Um, and we ended up winning like 27, 21, the second half. And mm-hmm. they quit running the ball and stuff. I remember to answer your question. I was like, Oh, they're good football. This, this <laughs> must be a good school. No deep dive on anything else. I'm not nope. saying it would have changed anyway. Right. I believe you're where you're supposed to be. Yep. But now, like when I, you know, when I look at different, uh, I went from, I went from Seattle to Webster City and then Webster City to Carlisle, and especially from Carlisle to Center Point yeah. as assistant superintendent. I do the deep dive. You look at everything. You look at property valuations. I yep. don't look at that when I was in the <laughs> yeah. You look at, you know, you look at demographics, you look at scores, you look yeah. at everything. Yep. It was back then, it was, oh, they're good at football. I think I want to go there. <laughs> so, which if you think about it, I mean, look what it did. It allowed me to right. meet my future wife and have kids and all that. But you're, you know, I wouldn't know you guys about football. Yeah. You know? Everything I, happens for a reason. About, it's actually a, yeah, it's actually a juvenile reason is to want to move to a place. Like, hey, it's in the boy area and they're good at football. So. Well, you were young. I mean, you were, in, like you said, early 20s. Mm-hmm. There, you don't think about that kind yeah. of stuff. Nope. I remember, and we're going to actually talk with Crippen later uh, today. When I was, I was a student teaching there and uh, there was an opening for like middle school history, I think it was, because the guy was retiring. I'm like, perfect. I'm student teaching here. I can get that job right away. <laughs> so then I started looking at like, Carlisle, you mean, right? Yeah, yeah, Carlisle, <laughs> yep. And I'm like, there, there's property. So I went and looked at this property in Pleasantville. I'm like, that's not that far of a drive from, from Carlisle. I'm like, this is, gonna be, this is perfect. My life is going to be laid out like this. And that's all I thought about. I was like, okay, there's a job opening. I'm already here student teaching. Yep. I'm going to get the job because yep. I did okay, I think. And then it ended up just, for me, it ended up not, it worked out for the better, but like, right. you don't right. think about every single thing. You're just like, here's a, here's a reason. Perfect. Let's go. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, when you're young though, you can make on the whim decisions like that. Now yeah. it's like, to me, calculated strategic, like mm-hmm. look at property value. I mean, I'm a superintendent. Look at property valuations. Right. Look at, 
you know, the, the enrollment history, are they going, are they increasing enrollment, decline enrollment? I mean, things that I didn't think about definitely right. 29 years ago, I was like, Hey, Des Moines area. Yep. Football, I'm going. <laughs> <laughs> well, like you said, you're in the third phase now, right? And so um, that makes complete sense. And, you know, we have some listeners who are either thinking about going into teaching or who are brand new to the uh, profession, you know, and I think that's a good point is there are some things that you have to make sure it's just like buying a house, right? I mean, you're making a commitment. And so there are some mm-hmm. things you have to have on that um, required list and definitely have to do, like you said, a little bit of research, uh, especially now, like you said, uh, and we've all agreed that education's changed. I mean, from grading practices to how you're supposed to, you know, build relationships with students, clear to communication at home and stuff like that. And I think those are definitely things to make sure you ask about in that interview. Well, here's the, here's, here's the reality. We all know it. Schools need educators more than educators need school. So at this point in time, I mean, we talk about retention. It used to be attract and retain. Now it's all about retention. We all know there's a shortage almost in every field. My brother, who's a federal judge down here in the South, is talking about like shortages in his office. Oh, yeah. You know, so almost every industry has that. And to me, we obviously we're public educators. We believe in public education, and you know I do believe we are the backbone of this country. Public education is a great is a great equalizer in my in my belief system. Yeah, um, it's about retention and being attractive. And right now, people it's almost like the NIL transfer portal. <laughs> you can go anywhere you want. Yep, any point in time. We're all competing for the same teachers. Yeah, um, I, the the studies show that. I think it's, it's ages 22 through 35 want to be, if not in a big metro area, they want to be located by one, yep. even a suburb of one. Mm-hmm. That's why it's getting more and more difficult to attract, um, you know, certain, a certain demographic age wise to like rural communities. I remember my last year of being uh, a principal at Webster city high school. I had a science position open and we had three applicants and two weren't even viable. Yeah. And that was 2013, 14 school year. Yep. So it's one of those things like, what, what, what are we doing? And you can only do so much right. within the school framework on trying to retain people. So to me, it goes back to number one thing is culture. Culture is the, the, the deciding factor in my mind. I can, I knew we were going to make more money, but this culture over here where I'm working at, is better. I'm going to stay here. Yeah, that's yeah. why I think it comes down to right now. I believe that absolutely. And you see, you see a lot of schools with they're trying to you know put out bonuses for signing. Yeah. I know it popped up one day was um, last year. It was Pocahontas. Yeah, they had one. It was a fifteen thousand dollars signing bonus for mm-hmm. special ed teachers, and it was like three years. Yeah, it was like four the first year, five the second year, and then six the the next year. I'm like, mm-hmm. I can't believe. I mean. They're obviously, and they're in a rural area too, like you're saying. So, I mean, it's hard enough to find teachers in, in like the big, like Des Moines and, you know, Quad Cities, large population areas, but trying to find, mm-hmm. you know, teachers for those small schools, you got to figure out what you, you know, what you're going to do. And I think culture, you know, if you retain teachers, you don't have to hire teachers. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I think that yeah. speaks to that, that culture part of it. And like you were saying, Coach, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, but like earlier you were talking about, you know, being a young guy, wanting to move back to Des Moines. Like, you know, those rural places don't have anybody your age or those young people. Um, I, I think that's – is that a trend you're seeing is there's a lot more factors coming into play beyond just pay and a good school district? Do you think a lot of it's coming down to that that, that – 
yearning for network or yearning for relationships, um, connection, do you see that more of a play right now um, when you're talking to people about what you have to offer for a school district? Or do you think it still comes down to good academic setting or, you know, close to home, those types of things? What you just said, in addition to what you said prior to that on the networking, uh, I, I know the youth of today, they want more flexibility. I mean, it's not, I mean, everyone likes money. We know that nobody gets an education because they, they think they're going to like, you know, retire with $5 million in the bank. Right. A lot of that has to do with flexibility and it's definitely culture. When I talk about culture, I mean a, a healthy culture. Yeah. A healthy culture isn't everything's rainbow rainbow slides and unicorn rides is what I say or lollipops. <laughs> I mean, healthy culture also means like let's let's have conversations and then move forward, those type of things. Yeah. Um, it's funny you talk about Crippen because, you know, when I went to Carlisle Middle School, I got to be re- reunited with Crippen for seven years. We had ups and downs, but it was overall a good experience. And we should talk about our days at Fadell together, yeah. how everything changes. But definitely when you're looking to attract and then retain current staff right now, you have to be flexible. You have to offer, you know, support for them. I mean, it was different when I was coming out of the classroom. I'm going to get where you're at, like it was like, I didn't have, I mean, I had been efficient as a mentor, but it wasn't like an official program. It was almost like, I remember my first year of teaching, I remember go talk to the principal. He was like, you're a teacher, go teach what you want. He was almost <laughs> like, get out of my way. I mean, just, just go, go do your job. That's what you're here for. And now mm-hmm. you, the right thing to do is to always like offer support. Right. Uh, the leader of a building, the principal, has to offer support. You're an instructional leader versus being a manager. And that was like the course of my career. I went to Webster city, you know, I learned how to be a really good manager, but wasn't until I was at Carlisle um, middle school in the district that you learn more about instructional leadership, because that's more required. Right. I mean, you're required to be an instructional leader. Right. I don't believe that was really on the, on the docket 30 years ago regarding superintendent. Uh-huh. So yeah, you have to be a lot of different things. Now you talk about master communicators, those type of things. So, um, because teachers can go anywhere they want now. I mean, it's, it's, the pickings are, it, for them, like I said, they can choose to go wherever they want. Yeah. Yeah, and that's one thing we're starting to do now is trying to, um, and I don't know if you've seen it in the news, and I can't remember if we talked about it before, but um, we're looking at possibly doing a four-day school week. Um, I saw that. As a way to retain and, you know, and, and attract new, you know, new teachers and good teachers. And um, have you guys brought that up at all? Like, or I alternate, mean, like, systems yeah. like that? as a way to yeah we haven't gone through that yet i mean so this is my third year in my current district i started my first year as an assistant superintendent had a lot of responsibilities and duties and now i'm in my first year being a superintendent so i'm not going to even touch that one right now <laughs> <laughs> just because i mean i think i think my first like what three or four years ago was only like one school that did it cardinal of iowa cardinal belden i think yep. was doing it and that's where Landon Miller was actually a principal at. If you yeah. remember Landon Miller. Yep. Yeah, he's, he's, in, in. he's in Nebraska now. Yeah. yeah. And now more schools are actually going to that. I think there are four or five now in Iowa. Well, I think and one I of the ones. Superintendent conference. What's that? No, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was just at a superintendent conference. And I can't remember where you're sitting from, but the guy, the superintendent sitting across from me, they're starting to have talks about in their district. Yeah. So, because um, there's, there's different advantages to it. The yeah. teacher shortage, it adds flexibility. Yeah. There is some, depending on like how you analyze it, some cost saving benefits, those type of things. Yeah. There's also drawbacks to it as well. Right. Um, I, I just believe it's going to be really difficult in Iowa because we're an agriculture-based society. And like one thing I've really learned is, like, especially when you're at the district level, 
every decision you make impacts the entire district. And before I had children, I didn't think about what daycare was like because no. I didn't have kids. So I was like, <laughs> somebody else watches them. Right. Well, I don't have any family that lives in the area. Right. So like daycare for my wife and I, when we were in Western city and we started having children was, was different because we didn't have any family there. Right. So like, I mean, I haven't had to make a weather call yet. I had to make a decision for state volleyball when our girls team qualified for state this year. It's like, you can make fun of it, but even making it like, we're going to cancel school so we can, uh, you know, go to the state tournament, which is well received. But like, even doing like a snow day delay or even a cancellation, think about the hardship it puts on families not to yeah. find daycare. Absolutely. Yeah. So like going to four day work week, it sounds great, but there's also a lot of, a lot of unintended consequences. Yeah. How's that going to be well received? Well, logistics. And that, yeah. yeah, and that's brought that's have been the big pushbacks was <clears throat> how are they going to do the daycare? And I know one of the things, <clears throat> excuse me, one of the things they're looking at is so we do Eagles Nest, which is a before and after school, um, and then like a daycare within the at Cornell, and um, they also do it for PD days. Um, it's open for PD days, and I know they've talked about doing that as a at a reduced rate. And we actually use that um, this year for Claire because our daycare they can't or she retired after last year, so Chase is old enough. He just he's at Woodside, so he walks over, and um, or he'll ride the bus to the high school. So we don't need him to, but she's still they're on a different schedule, so she stays at you know at Eagles Nest. And I know that's one of the big things. And the other one is um, the. Uh, the food, you know, because we yeah. have, we provide free and reduced lunch, and it's for all students right now. So even mine, mm-hmm. who really we we would not qualify for it. I'm get, I'm assuming we wouldn't qualify for free and reduced. Mm-hmm. So I think that's one of the things is if we went to the four day week, we would not qualify for everybody. It would just be those who qualify, like the students that are um, you know low socioeconomic, yeah. and and I get that. Those are two big things, and and for me looking at it as a parent. Claire will be old enough they could stay home by themselves, you know, next year. Um, so so that doesn't affect me. And then the free and reduced, the way I look at this, and I doubt there's a lot of parents that do, but, you know, I've had a kid in for seven years and then Claire for five years. They've had free food at school when we didn't qualify for it. So now if I'm going to have to pay my fair share, I'm okay with that because I didn't really need it before, but it was it was taken care of. So I'm like, now I've got to pay my share. I, I get that. I, I'm okay with it. But it's easier for me to say that now as opposed to some other people possibly. But, yeah, um, yeah I know was Waco. Waco was one of the yeah, other schools. Yeah, Waco is one of them. Um, Waco, yeah. Yeah, and one of the stats they brought up was um, within when ten, they've done it for 10 years, I guess. They've only had three teachers in the junior high high school mm-hmm. that have um, they've had to fill, yeah. apparently. That was one of the things that when they were sending out our press clippings or whatever it is for – for our situation, they were trying to, you know, one of the stats, I guess, or the data. Yeah, I think one or two were resignations, actually, and the others were, yeah, uh, whatever else. But yeah, I, like you said, coach, I think there's, I mean, obviously there's pros and cons. Um, great point about agricultural state. And I, I would assume that's why the majority of our districts have not even discussed a four day. I know. Bon Durant was it about 12 years ago had talked, talked about doing about it mainly because of the expenses, right? Like you talked about some of the cost saving between busing, utilities, those things. But I think overall the biggest thing that got them was because they were uh, an ag- agricultural area. And a lot of their you know, kids as parents were part of that. And then also childcare and um, just kind of a growing community. So Martinsdale's brought it up too. I think they were yeah, just man. in the news. Martinsdale, St. Mary's. Ooh. 
Martinsdale St. Mary's. Oh, okay. I think yeah. they were just yeah. recently in the news because it was linked to to the story about um, our school, but they were talking about it too. They haven't made a decision yeah. yet either, but yeah. um, what was so some... One draw. One drawback, we talked about cost savings real quick, mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. yeah, there may be cost savings to the district, but the flip side is what yeah. about the, like the support staff? Yeah. Now they're going to be working less uh, one day less a week Correct. Yep. and and for some support staff the convenience of school and how it aligns with their own families is great but now you're yep. when you do the math on that that's yep. a long-term ramification of you could lose support staff as we all know there's not like a plethora of people to replace them with yeah no. so and the other thing that, yeah. Cons, yeah and you just made me think about too is um thinking about if parent if some of the financial burden is shifted to parents for child care i just got to thinking what what happens to school fundraisers um, and your athletic programs, right? I mean, people have less cash on hand now because once a week or twice, you know, yeah, once a week they're, they're paying for extra. And so, I mean, that's something too, I suppose, that uh, needs to be in the mix. Yeah, I, I think you have to look at all of that and then determine, you know, pl- pluses and minuses, pros and cons, you know. And then, like, I think when we first rolled it out, I don't think there was a great job of communicating how are we going to take care of kids on that four, that fifth day mm-hmm. and what are we going to do with um, you know, the, the food, um, that some kids come to school and that's the, the meal they, that's the only meal they get. Um, but I, yeah, I think you have to answer those questions before you roll anything out. You have to figure out, I mean, look at it. What are, what are they going to ask us? What are they going to yeah. push back on? How mm-hmm. can we answer those questions? And like yeah. you said, support staff. And I know they're working on where can we put those hourly employees to where they can still work that fifth day. And whether that is, do they want to do the Eagle's nest or, um, but yeah, those, that's for uh, that's for people that get paid like you, not us. <laughs> <laughs> um, You're so, funny. <laughs> so hey, okay. Now, you asked me a question. You asked me a question. You asked me about over the years what uh, my speaking philosophy and all that has has uh, evolved. I'm just gonna say it now. One big thing is grading practices. Okay, because no. it's about time. If we were done to us and. Like when I went to Webster City in 2004 to be the assistant principal, where I was the assistant principal for seven years at the high school, then I was the principal for three years. So I was there for 10 years. Was we really dive deep into grading practices and it's where I for teaching, teaching and learning for actually learning. Yeah. And I'm going to publicly apologize right now to Chris Munn because <laughs> I have a policy of your paper was late. You couldn't turn it in, and you look back retrospectively. That was the dumbest thing you ever. Traumatized you traumatized him his entire life. He still holds on yes, to that. Yes, I know, and I, <laughs> I am owning it because part of part of growing up is called live evolution. So you learn from mistakes. Don't stay the same unless you don't want to grow. And one thing I learned that I really dived into. I remember even reaching out to you, Chris, saying, "You know what? I just learned something recently. I wish I would have known." And I was a classroom teacher. <laughs> yeah, was well, like, I'm not saying there shouldn't be a penalty, but if you don't do your taxes, they don't say. I guess you don't got to do them, right? Right. No, there's a penalty stuff to do with them. So, like one thing is continual philosophy. It's me on my mind. It's continuous evolution. There's no arrival. There's not like, oh, I'm a master teacher. I'm done. Like, here's my perfect Correct. lesson plan. Yeah, everything's about continuous improvement. And one of my one of my takeaways in every place I've been to, your takeaways was. Um, if we truly care about education for students as a great equalizer, which I believe it is, it's like having sound grading practices that are consistent, yeah. Yeah. not done by classrooms. And one of those would be teaching for learning and like having a paper <laughs> turned in late was like, it's asinine and, a, and, a, and it's archaic. It, it makes yeah. no sense. Well, I publicly apologize to Chris Munn on my knee. Well, here's me growing up. I probably was pissed at the time, but like, I think it's like, it would, yeah, I should have turned it in on time. Like, 
as educators, as adults, we have deadlines. If you miss a deadline, it's like you said, it's not like nothing happens. It, right. you know, so I, I think we'll say in a, in a small way that probably made sure that, uh, as I learned in the future that deadlines are important. So I can't just turn it in whenever. Yep. Well, and I, I that's a great point is the general as generalities, right? Like, you know, you, we, we used to be all in that same camp of a deadline's a deadline, right? In real life, there's deadlines, whatever. And we would always pick out examples of how, how it proved we were correct, but you're, you're correct. In general practice, there is a deadline yet. It's not like it's the end of the world. Like, just like you said, taxes, taxes are a great example. You miss your deadline. There's, there's just a penalty yep. and you still have another six months or a year or whatever you work out with mm-hmm. the IRS. Right. Um, and it comes back to that idea that lie of evolution and, and you're right. Uh, those grading practices need to be sound and consistent. Yeah. In my own defense though, Chris didn't do himself any favor. In front of the whole class, he was like, well, you like me. You put me on the spot because they're like, oh, I like you, but I don't like you, so you have to be consistent. Did I say but that? The, I don't remember the, that. The whole, I think you made you know, that you up. You said that. I remember. I have a memory. You, know, you were like, but you like me in front of like 24 students. But the wow. general practice as that, as a rule, was not, that was not a sound grading practice. But you know what? That was what was done to me. But I think right. part of, like we said, live evolution is yeah. like recognizing, but that doesn't make any sense. Or saying, well, your cover page yeah. wasn't right. You get a zero on the whole paper. That's, yep. I mean, if you think about the, the, the grading scale that's well over 100 years old, you know, the zero <laughs> yep. 100 grading scale, yep. you point for an A is 10 points, let's say 90 to 100. Mm-hmm. But the, the, the scale for a, a failure is 59 and below. Right. I mean, you have a bigger chance of being able to fail than achieve success. Yeah. And yeah. if it's about the learning, if you think about the traditional grading scale, it makes yeah. no sense. I, I've seen yeah. ones, I've been ones that were equal, like, you know, whether it's a, a five point scale, whatever you want to call it, yeah. it's the, think about it. I mean, but that's a whole nother conversation. That, so, <laughs> well, and I, I, the I, biggest thing that made an impact to me on that same token was when somebody asked me, and I think it was, I think it was in like a professional develop and somebody goes, okay, so here's a piece of work. Tell me what the difference between a 61% and a 63% is on this. I think that was that was just life-changing to me because I'm like, you're right. I, I can't tell you. Is it one word? Is it one question? Like, does that make the difference between an A and a B sometimes? Yeah, it absolutely does if you miss one question. Um, and I that changed my whole view or perspective on grading. And like you said, the, the grade equalizer, and that is a whole nother conversation is that, you know, having sound grading practices, do you have a criterion? Do you have an idea of what good work or great work or above and beyond looks like? And, and how are you going to hold students to that continual learning on that? Yeah. I mean, cause <clears throat> given that extra time, they can, you know, they can learn as they continue to go and, and make it a better paper. Now I'll yeah. say, if I did say that in front of you, I deserve an F that, <laughs> cause that's, that's a, that's a pretty bad comment. Um, but yeah, so we I live like, and learn. That, well, yeah. exactly. So like you said, mm-hmm. you continually learn, you continue to continually grow. So I think, um, yeah, they are outdated practices. So I expect you to go back and adjust my transcripts. I appreciate that. <laughs> I don't think it. I don't think it affected you very. If I remember, well. but it's one of those you look back. You look back retrospectively, and like that. I mean, that's not providing people second chances, those type of things. And like, there was a lot of merit to standards based grading. I'm not going to pretend to know everything about it, but you know, are you proficient? 
Are you master? Do you need more? Do you need more additional learning? Like you said, 61 and 63%, like, are you proficient? Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, I'm not sure where you guys were at at Fadell, but it has to do with like, if, if it's about the learning, it's like, I have two sons. They had chores. Well, I didn't do the garbage. Oh, don't worry about it then. I guess it's too late for you. I'll do it. No, you're going to go back and do it. Yeah. So yeah. it's about learning. And it is. I mean, think about it. You were, I think, a junior that year. I think it was your junior year you took that class, maybe. Yeah, probably. So you're, let's say you're 17, 16, 17 years old. I mean, the human brain isn't developed until they're 24, 25 anyway. Men, right. I think, are probably more, they need longer to do that for maturity-wise. Like, really? <laughs> I, I held you to a standard when you're still developing, like, a deadline. And I was, I guess, not even a deadline. Like, a deadline to me is, like, it's, it's life or death. Right. Yeah. This is a so, um, You live and learn. You do. So, so, so other than that situation, what's another <laughs> uh, challenging situation you've had to face in your teaching career? And then, like, how did you overcome that? Wow. What year? I mean, every <laughs> year you learn something, right? Challenging yeah. situations. Um, you know, I, I, I do a lot of reflection to keep look back and like, why would I, why would I operate like that? A lot of it has to do with, um, communication. Not that I would say I'm a match communicator now, but I, I really try to be proactive in communication. Obviously I'm a different role than I was. Um, I look back when I was younger in my career and I'll even reference my time at Fidel, like communicating because parents have a right to know the staff of their students. And the argument a lot of times is, well, they're in high school, they should know by now. They're still, they're still dependent on their parent. And if you want to partner with parents, you communicate. So I think just overall, general speaking, would be improved communication, uh, to be very proactive, you know, right. to reach out, be like, hey, hey, Mr. Munn, you know, Mrs. Russell, mm-hmm. you know, Justin's struggling here, whatever it is, you know, to communicate. Because right. it's hard to do something about something if you don't know anything about it. Right. So, I mean, to me, the big one is just uh, the, in communication and we, we can preach it. I remember Dean Peterson, my principal at the time, was like, Well, the students, if the students not doing well or D or below or whatever it was, you have to communicate to parents. Yep. Well, if there wasn't any follow up on that, like you didn't do it. So that right. was my growth area communicating. I mean, when I became administrator, it was one of the type of things like, I'm calling parents to let them know I talked to their child while, you know, repeated behavior right. to partner with them. Yeah. You know, so they can hear from me first because a lot of times people tell no one there to. So just a general uh, is just people accept communication. And here's the deal. They want it like yesterday. And sometimes like I'm still working through the process to communicate, especially on my level. Yeah. You want to be proactive, but you don't want to communicate something you don't have all the facts. Correct. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a general one I'm talking about. But I just look back at my time on. I, I definitely could have been a better communicator early on about student status or academic status mm-hmm. and even type of behavioral concerns. Now, I do believe there's that balance there of you should have an opportunity as a professional to like correct the behavior with the child. And then if for some reason it doesn't get rectified, then you reach out to the parent, not the first time, you know, a little giant stuff out line, you call the parent and be like, well, let me be the professional. But if it's repeated, I'm starting to have trouble. I'm the partner with the parent. Right. Yep. Absolutely. No, and that's a that's a great point. And I think Chris and I talked about that before. I'm sure you started to do this um, too as you evolved in your in your career, but Chris and I talked about, you know, spending that first couple of weeks just made, and we had smaller rosters than most teachers. We didn't have 130 or 200 kids. We had, you know, we had 10, 15, but I, I think it went a long way for us to, to spend those first couple of weeks just making positive phone calls to parents or just introductions, mm-hmm. right? Like, Hey, I am Justin Russell. I will be your son or daughter's, you know, teacher this year. I'm really looking forward to the A, B and C. 
here's my email address, my phone number to the school. If you have any, ever have any questions, please let me know. Um, and you'd be surprised at how many parents who had historically their students had not been good students, whether behaviorally or academically. And I'm sure you saw this coach where they, their tone changed, right? Instead of being that parent who always called and complained about their kid, they would call and say, Hey, I noticed this, or, Hey, somebody emailed me another teacher. Can you, can you help me out and figure out what's going on? It just changed the dynamic to spend those first couple of weeks just being, like you said, a little proactive and communicating, right? And just identifying something positive for those parents. Yeah, because I think we've all talked to parents. I, I know I've had this happen to me as you call a parent home for a positive mm-hmm. and they're so used to getting the negative phone calls. The first yeah. thing they say is, what do they do now? Mm-hmm. It's like, well, no, no, this is, it's a good thing. Yeah. This is, you know, but that's where, like you said, that proactive, those proactive conversations. Mm-hmm. Parents like to hear hey, those good things. No, you're, you're cutting out. I can't really hear oh, you guys. Oh, sorry. There's a lot of intermittent. Okay. Does it sound? It did this last time too. Towards the end. Yeah, I don't know why. Is it sounding? Is it better now, or is it still cutting out? Uh, it's still cutting in and out. Like I don't know if I'm consistent either. It could be because we're nearing the end of the. Well, we have plenty of time. Oh, do we? Okay. Uh, um, <clears throat> maybe my kids are all on the Wi-Fi. <laughs> we'll edit this part out. <laughs> so they're on your hotspot, dude. <laughs> I, I guess. Yeah, I wouldn't let Chase play PlayStation because it. I figured it'd take too much bandwidth. Is it still still cutting out? Yeah, it's still cutting out. Sorry. No, it's it's. Okay. I don't listen to you. Um, it's, it's literally <laughs> like every other word. Oh man. Yeah. Um. Well, we had a couple other questions, but maybe we need to wrap it up. This happened last time too. Um. Towards I'm the end. Wrap it up. I thought we were getting started. We kind of were warming <laughs> up. We can do a two part series. We we can hang up and st- call again. Do, do we need to start? Do we need to get off and start over again or not? You guys edit it or not? Um, yeah, we can edit it. Yeah, we can we can piece it together. I'll stop the recording on the the podcast here. We'll cut this all out. So let's hop off and then we'll hop back on. So I can't hear you, dude. All right. I'm gonna end it. I need to restart it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Okay, and we are back. Hopefully this will they'll work pretty good. Um, a good spot for a commercial yeah. break. <laughs> yeah. If we had commercials, this would be a perfect hey, spot. Are we going to talk about what you're drinking? Isn't part of your show what you're drinking? I'm drinking a whey protein. Nice. I'm, out of, yeah. I'm out of town right now. I'm drinking a whey protein from... Well, hold on. Hold on. We got a... Let's see. There we go. We got okay. a little sound effect. Yeah. Just a second. <laughs> Don't... There it is. <laughs> All right. So... Go ahead. Now, what are you drinking? <laughs> drinking whey protein from uh, GNC. Since I'm not in my own house, I had to go shopping at the post recovery because I'm still a steak head, as I've been called my life. Yeah. <laughs> Do you buy the big, like the barrel thing usually? Is that what you get? Like the one from barrel? <laughs> I actually drink something. I actually drink something daily called Isopure. It's whey protein. Oh, I only eat one meal a day right now. So in the morning after I work out, I drink whey protein. I don't typically eat until like dinner time. Now that Isopure oh, so. is that the because Morgan does that <clears throat> but she does the one that's um more like fruit flavored so it's oh, not yeah. it's not like a shake it's she dissolves it into just water and it's more of like a um like a, a drink mix like a flavored water yeah like a flavored water okay yeah, yeah. i think it's I from do, iso I buy right it's like mine comes in a glass bottle she has part of the mix hmm. i get mine i get amazon it's different flavors but yeah it's good stuff i mean yeah nice huh you get older, you can't out-train the bad diet. You gotta have <laughs> the diet. Speaking of, I have um, 
C4. Yeah, get on him, coach. Get him. It's an, Tell him hey, how bad that is. No, you know what? I still remember when we went up to, was it BV? Yes. And um, that your old coach, and we won't say names, was handing out spark packets. <laughs> this was like, <laughs> this was like pre- <laughs> Like before it got big, that creatine. Yeah, spark or it probably whatever, had a fedrin yeah. in it or something. I don't, I don't, I don't remember. He wound up in Fort Those Bay for that. Did, Did he, he really? I still he's a, he's still he's still like a very close. I'm gonna say confident friend of mine. I mean, yeah. he, he recruited me out of high school to go to Drake, and yeah, yeah she doesn't live very far from me now. But I remember when that whole thing went down. There was a thing in Fort Illustrated about uh, the college football coach and. Yeah. Giving stuff out or whatever that yeah, stuff. Yeah. So yeah, I used to do Advocare a lot, but I, yeah. I haven't done it for a long time. I, I kind of ran out. Of it. I got sick of doing it. So yeah, um, I do it. I I'm still like a member or sell, whatever you want to call it, because just because the discount. Because Morgan drinks that. Um, she'll do the Spark, you know, or we'll do some of that stuff too. Mm-hmm. Still, but yeah, he's big into that. He's up at one of those upper levels. Yeah, I think of that. Yeah, yeah. but funny. Yeah. All right. So, um, yeah, so we were talking about conflict, right? You're drinking tomato juice. Yeah. Tomato juice right now out of this, uh, what do they call these cups again? It's a silly pint. Oh, silly pint. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's for my mom's restaurant. Do you know that? My mom has a restaurant. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. It's in Kearney. It's just, just, uh, up the road from the high school. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. When you almost get tanked. I did not know that. Which restaurant? It's called Cerizo Grill. What's that? Oh. It's a. No, I didn't know that. It's like a breakfast and a lunch. It's a like a mom pa diner type deal. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's a nice place. Yeah. So. You know, the funny thing is, the funny thing is, like, so Jamie's Jamie's uh, stepfather was like her father passed away back in 2015, and then her mom still lived on the homestead right there. You know, that was in the district. Yep. Yeah. But they, she moved like probably four or five years ago. But like three or four years ago. I went to a, a, a local band had a concert in in the district at uh, what was the name of the place? It's, it's a corner pub area. Is it McCann's? Right there on the yeah yeah McCann's, McCann's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. or whatever. And like I'm standing there and I see this guy standing there with Brian signs and I go up to my <laughs> and I go like you know you got a problem with me? He looks at me and he's like oh my, I haven't seen Brian. <laughs> Twenty years. Uh, it's been a long time, so yeah, yeah. That was good memory. You run into no. people and stuff. Oh, yeah. 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 I didn't. I didn't realize your mom. They had a restaurant. So yep. Yeah, she's had it for geez, several years. Yeah, now. probably yeah. six or seven years. Yeah. Maybe I think she passed. Up. Just got her five year not too long ago. Yeah. Yeah, I don't remember. Yeah. yeah, I I try to avoid that corner that corner bar there in the district just because you're probably going to run into a parent or two. So. Yeah. You know, that's like a reunion, you know, (laughs) yeah, it is a reunion. You see a lot of people, you know, yeah, yeah. Well, I was there for the concert a year before because it's just banded people I've known since I was probably eight, nine years old. They played in a local band and, and I was there one year and it was, it was Steve Newsom's class of 2002 or three. Yeah, and they were right. having a reunion there. So I did a picture with a bunch of them, saw a bunch of them there. I mean, a lot of good people, a lot of good people yes. I know obviously from Adele. So yeah. How many years, how many years were you there? Was it f- seven. seven? Seven. I was there uh ninety seven through two thousand four. Okay. So was there a lot of turnover at that point when you left like I know there were several teachers who had kind of left over the last couple of years while you were there. There wasn't Not a, a lot. lot. Of, okay. I mean, there wasn't a ton. I mean, like I think Cindy Fish had retired. Yep. You know, Pizzetti had left. Yep. Um, but I think overall the core was there because that's something you brought up earlier about retention. Yeah. 
and like even more like when you have a constant turnover and I don't like preparing like, but it's organizationally, yeah. whether it's a sports team or organization, when you have a turnover in leadership or even like, you know, classroom teachers, yeah. it takes a while. I mean, the research shows sometimes it takes two years to get back to where you're at. Right. That's why they say fire the coach, fire the coach, hire somebody else. Yeah. They're probably not going to come in and like win a state championship the next year with a new coach. It's going to take right. time to build the program. That's typically anywhere from two to five years. Yeah. So, Good point. Good point. Um, with that then, so what's kind of a trend you see, you know, we talked about climate and culture and stuff. So what's kind of a trend you see for people leaving, um, the district they're in, not necessarily education itself, but just the building. And then what is, what is it about your district or the district you've been in that you've seen draws people? Um, because, you know, obviously applications are pretty competitive right now. So there's gotta be something that pulls people in, but what do you, what do you kind of see those trends being? We're pulling in or people leaving. Yeah, either both. or. Yeah, both. Yeah, yeah. You know, what I've seen, especially in my in my new role, my new district, is the last couple of years is fatigue. Oh. Um, fatigue. You know, when you have younger people, they move, they, you know, maybe they'll help children, those type of things. To me, those, those are outside reasons why people are no longer teaching. But the people are leaving, some have to do with fatigue. Mm-hmm. You know, they're just, they're, you know, COVID, I think, did a number on everybody. I think we can say that safely, and especially on educators and the fatigue factor. Now, I'm in a really good district now where our retention rate's pretty solid yeah. for the most part, and we attract a lot of people based on our reputation and our location. Nice. You know, just like there's people don't want to be, like, in like in, a, in Des Moines, but around Des Moines, right. you know, surrounding area. Yeah. Same thing for where we're located at is, you know, we're, we're outside Cedar Rapids. You know, very close, but not in Cedar Rapids. So you have people who want to, you know, be by a big metro area, but not necessarily teacher working one. Yeah. I was just, you know, I, I've been going to Iowa games the last couple of years. My friend's a big Iowa fan. And I met a girl last year at Luther College who's a sophomore who's getting offered jobs already. Jeez. Wow. And she's from, she, yeah, she's from the area or she's from the area kind of where we're at, Northeast Iowa. And she was like, well, I kind of want to be around the Cedar Rapids area. I'm like, here's my information. <laughs> and you get ready to graduate. The last year reached out to me. I didn't think she was going to. And she emailed me like, you know, two days later on Sunday night saying, hey, here's, here's my crazy? information. So we kind of kept the contact just yeah. because she wants to be around the area but doesn't want to necessarily be in a big area. So I think what they're looking for right now is the best of both worlds. Yeah. You know, and some people want to be in a big district. I get that, mm-hmm. you know, because whatever reason they're from there, those type of things. Yeah. I think that's what people are looking for. They want to be have all the, the pluses of a big metro area, yeah. but maybe not necessarily being one. So that's why I believe like where I'm at now, we can, we're able to attract people because we have a really good reputation art in, in the area. Plus it's not in the smack dead yeah. center of, you know, a big metro area. So how big is it? Like, uh, like the high school, how many kids do you yeah. have in the high school? Uh, there's, I want to say four seventy ish. We have about fifteen hundred in our district. So yeah, two or three A. I can't remember. You know, it, it teeters tires <clears throat> back and forth between. Like I always call it like a three A school. <laughs> uh, it's definitely smaller than I was at because, like, you know, at Carlisle Middle School, I, we had my last year we were almost six hundred students. Yeah, and so that's you know, like even now when I go and I visit the schools weekly and I go to assemblies, I'm involved a lot. It's because I still go to like. I'm still used to like, you know, my, I had three grades and it was like 590 my last year. <laughs> and we, we started with 470. So uh-huh. it's like, you see, you know, you, you go and see smaller. So it's, yeah. you know, it's, 
every place I've been is different. And that's okay. Yeah. Well, that's like the attraction of like where you're at and what kind of attracted me to come back to not only just going to the, you know, teaching at the school I went to, but you're on the outskirts of Cedar Rapids, like you said, but it's probably still has a small town feel in the school. Cause it's a smaller, smaller group of kids as opposed to like you said, Carlisle mm-hmm. that's growing. So you still have all that stuff, but you still feel like you're in a small town. It is. And in our mission statement even talks about that. Our mission statement, you know, there's, you know, like I'm going to call four indicators of success. And the last one is, you know, we're in a, in a, in a small town atmosphere supported by parents. So it's so people, people like that, yeah. you know, some people like being in big, big areas. I get that. Yeah. You know, I grew up in a big, in a big metro area. It doesn't bother me um, being in a big school, but it's, yeah. it's what do what do what, what do parents want for their own children? Yep. So yeah. like what you just said, and Justin, you talked there too. I mean, there's not, when you interview at a place that you have a lot of pride in mm-hmm. where you're from, yeah. to me, that's the ultimate question. It's like, why would you want to come here? If <laughs> yeah. you're able to say, well, let me yeah. talk about that. You know, yep. you're very, you're greatly influenced. You have a lot of pride for the place. Yep. So, well, yeah. And I keep coming back. Uh, and Chris has heard me ask this before, but you know, the big, the big question I've had the last couple of years is from a, like an investment side point. So if we talk about return on investment, you know, and we talk about the school district, what does a product of the district I teach at look like, right? So after four years with me, what is it that I personally want to be able to tell people, straight face, not lying, that that student is able to do now? Not, you know, I don't want to make a general statement. Well, they're a productive citizen. Well, that can mean a thousand different things. But specifically, what skills, mindset, thought process, do they have grit? Those have, like, what am I actually, after four years, going to benefit that kid? Because like you said, there's... 600 school districts in the state of Iowa, right? Like, so there's so many different choices. Um, so the idea is, is what am I selling? 325, there you go. Uh, so what am I selling parents on, right? When they come in and, uh, right. I, I think that's what you're talking about too, is that climate and culture is that a student not only feels safe when they come here for four years, but they're also going to leave with these valuable skills, um, that does right. lead to it. Yeah. So well, you're, what you're talking about, law schools, is develop what they call a portrait of a graduate. What does our graduate leave the skills with? That, that, that's what most people call the portrait of a graduate. Yeah. So yeah. Um, that's what you're talking about. Like, when you leave here, like, what skills do you have? Yeah. And I think we all know we're looking either at college and or career ready. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You want to leave productive citizen, what does that look like? And yeah. college isn't for everybody, you know. Like, my own son, my youngest, wants to be a police officer. Yeah. He's set on that. Yeah. So yeah. that's a different type of uh, career path than if he went to college route yep well that's where i'm glad i was just gonna say that's where i'm glad that we switched from that college ready to college and career ready because there was a point where we're trying to push every student into college well that that doesn't work for everybody you know you have to have multiple paths and i'm I'm glad we've kind of changed that even just the verbiage of um it doesn't mean not not necessarily everybody needs to go to college because you know you need you know like you said police officers even if you're going to a trade school you're not looking at sending a kid straight into a four-year, four-year college. They maybe they're get, picking up a trade, and right. heck, they're making a ton of money. And you always need plumbers, you need yeah. welders, you need mechanics. I mean, you need all of that. And I'm glad we've kind of gotten rid of that college ready in uh, in education. You know, college or career ready is better. That's a that's a good point you bring up because I was guilty of college, college, college as an instructor early on. 
And the best question I've ever been asked, I interviewed at my current district by the then superintendent. He said, if you had gone to education, what would you have done? Because I've had a lot of time to think about that. Yeah. And with my experiences over years of remodeling for house and all that, like, that was easy. Like, oh, I would have been an electrician. He's like, yeah. really? He's like, yeah, at this point in time, I would have my own business. Yeah. It's like wedding cake and funerals. It's like constant. I mean, it's yeah. constant. And yeah. not everything is college track. And if you no. if you read, read the news lately about the cost of college yeah. and you know, like what does it really do for you in the long term? I, there's options for everybody, but definitely, like, I was guilty of that, and I apologize. You know, like, like everything is not college. It's it's college annual career ready for right. students. I want yeah. my own children leaving with a product, like you said, Justin. Yeah, absolutely. So, did your did your uh, headset cut out a little bit? It did, but it's back. Sorry, it was my phone. It was somebody calling, and it connects to my computer. So, can you hear us still? No. Okay, we're good. You never right. cut out for me. Yeah, All right. Good. No, it's just maybe it's just mine then. Maybe. Um, so. With uh, with when new teachers come in, uh, how involved are you in those hiring processes now? I mean, in your new role, do you sit in a lot of the interviews and hiring, or do you do you kind of just oversee it? So when I was the assistant superintendent, one of my main duties was HR. Everything's almost HR thing about human resources. <laughs> yeah. So I actually had developed like an onboarding packet, okay. and I. I had started to meet with every candidate, but that gets to be a lot. And yeah. I can always do my schedule with that. Right. I mean, even if you need 15 to 20 minutes, um, but there, there was an onboarding process I was involved in yeah. as a superintendent. Now, obviously that's, that's a, that's a decentralized and principal makes that decision. Yeah. Um, I don't mind meeting people like whenever I'm possible, I can let me meet them if I can, just yeah. because I think that personal touch and definitely, the way I am as a superintendent, I know I'm, I'm, I'm in week buildings weekly. I, I, I can say every teacher by their name, get yeah. to know them, those conversations. So it's, it's a new way of doing it. I believe on, you know, I'm not going to sit in the interview, but I definitely am going to be involved in the process. Cause I'm yeah. the one who actually takes it to the board to be recommended for hire. So you want to have a background who you're hiring and why that's for sure. And your so name's I'm on not, it. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm not micromanaging, but I'm not hands off. It's somewhere in the middle on being aware. Yeah. And the reason I asked that is um, just knowing um, that part of being a leadership, right, in that role is, and you talked about the climate of culture, is knowing that you want to have a pulse on who, who you're hiring, right, and that, that part of it. How do you, have you evolved into adding into that onboarding process uh, parts about conflict, like how like giving advice to those teachers that are coming in, whether they're new or old or uh, or in the profession, um, of how to handle like parents in your district or like what is the process for conflict beyond just going, you know, filing a complaint and and having a meeting with you. Like, is there some things that you you try to provide them as far as uh, tips or a way to guide through that or navigate through that process of conflict? Yeah. We've actually done a lot of work in my current district on, because it goes back to communication. So like part of my, I'm going to call it my, when I, when I had pre-service this year, I, I started with a poll everywhere. And I just, I asked a question all staff and it was projected on the big screen behind us on what do we, what are the main things we have to do now? So at the end of the year, we're not frustrated and we're trying to do an autopsy, which doesn't help you more than a checkup. That's a great and question. the word that came up most on the Wordle the center of it was communication. So, I mean, the takeaway for the entire staff was, it wasn't coming from me. It was like, what do we have to do to avoid conflict or to avoid being burned out at the end of the year? It was communicate, communicate, communicate. So yes, we do a lot with our staff on 
know, this is the reasons why we want to communicate, what you should communicate about. Every school district probably has a board policy on, like, I hate to call it the chain of commands and chain of leadership, chain of communication. <laughs> yep. Typically, start at the, at the source closest to the nature of the issue and work your way up. Like, you know, I've had people call before administrator, like, why did why is Chris getting a bad grade in math class? And all the time, the teacher, I'm like, have you talked to the teacher? <laughs> right. I mean, you're being respectful about it. Yeah. Because I wouldn't know. And a lot of times it hasn't happened, you know, mm-hmm. for whatever reason, because right. parents don't want to talk to the teacher as well. They feel intimidated. Like, that's where you would start. So I think to avoid those conflicts, it starts with being proactive in communication. Does that mean you're going to avoid every conflict or people are not going to have grievances? No, of course it's going to happen. But to me, if you are able to communicate, be proactive, when they do happen or someone does have a question, they knew how to go to. Right. It's kind of like the, um, I did some learning while I was going through my, 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 my program to be a superintendent on go to your waiter. Like if you go out to dinner with your wife mm-hmm. and your soup's cold. Yeah. And I complained to Jamie, God, my soup's cold. And she's like, why are you talking to yeah. <laughs> What am I going to do? Right? Great point. Yeah. It's kind of like the mindset of go, go to your waiter. It's not complaining if you go right. to the person you can solve your problem, right? If you right. come to me and say, I, I want to talk about that, it's not complaining. Complaining right. is what you do in the parking lot and the person can't do anything about it. Great point. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Great point. So hope I answer your question. Yeah, you did. And, and I love, I love that you're here because you have a different perspective. I mean, obviously you've moved through those different levels of education and you're to a, you're to a part where now you can make some real beneficial decisions, right. And put some things into practice that, you know, um, have some real impact. And so, uh, yeah, I greatly appreciate that because we, we try to provide some suggestions or thoughts and things for, you know, not just new staff, but staff who are on the edge of being burnout, right? And trying to not necessarily figure out their why, but come back to the idea of what uh, what, what they want to accomplish. And you're, and you're correct. I think it's that idea of portraits. Um, trying to remember that the portrait you have now after 15 years is going to be vastly different than when you first got in. And um, so, no, that's a great great point. You made several, and I wrote down that question you did on the poll because I think it's a great question of – and it's never too late, right? Like, I mean, we have second semester coming up. I think for a lot of teachers, now is a great time to, if you wanted to change the climate culture in your classroom, and now's a perfect time to do it because you have not necessarily a whole new group of kids, but you have some new kids. Yeah, and this is like a, this is kind of where you hit that reset button. And yeah. I, and I know, and I don't know about when you were in education or when you were in teaching. I know when I was younger, like, you know, Christmas break, I'd go in two to three times before I had the kids, mm-hmm. two to three times, work in my room, get caught up and stuff like that, or get ready for the second semester. And then you don't really have that, that separation of, like you said, to hit the reset and like reset your standards, but you also need that time away. So it doesn't feel like the year continues to drag on. You need to ha- have that time for yourself. And <clears throat> did, when you were in that, when you were a teacher, did you do that? Or were you, did you live in the classroom over breaks? No, I didn't live in a classroom, I, and I believe really, and I say this, it's not you know, using a key word that, especially in today's world, you need to disconnect. I mean, like for me, I take work email off my phone. I don't want it because um, I'm very, um, what's the word, that if I see an email, I'll have to read it. So yeah. I, I took it off my phone because you have to have that disconnect. Yeah. Now, I get in my current role, and when you're building principal, I mean, you're always on the clock in a way, but you have to disconnect. Yeah. And so, but... I'm going to go back to Bill Belichick or even Bill Walsh, the former four Niners coach, be the most well-prepared person in the room. Mm-hmm. And I don't know about you. I've never tried to wing a lesson plan because it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. So you got to spend some time. We know that. And right. it's been said that the 
the bulk of education is built on the unpaid time with teachers, and that's why we go into it because we're dedicated. We care about students. So you have to disconnect, but you still have to do some work. Like even I'm in on vacation now, if you want to call that, you know, with my family, I'll do some work on that. But it's really important that you do disconnect. Otherwise, you will become burnout. You want to be prepared, but not living in a classroom all the time because it, it just doesn't work. No, it's not sustainable. And something you guys talked about with the with the reset, you know. And every place I've been, I've always been able to reflect and that I've grown in this area. I've improved. Like why I really learned that when I was a principal Carlisle middle school, what culture really matters. And there's a difference between doing a checkup and doing like an autopsy and autopsy tells you why you died. Right. right. Can't do anything yep. about it. Mm-hmm. And my last several years, we implemented what we call checkup surveys, like every seven weeks. And okay. then by the eighth week, you formulate a plan and it revolved around the core principles, which in my mind, as a leader of the building or the district, you, you focus on like healthy culture, yeah. you focus on system alignment, you know, having all systems mm-hmm. working together. You focus on that, that collaborative piece, you know, for student achievement. Right. And so I've also brought that to my current district where every seven weeks now the buildings do it, they do a checkup survey. Started doing this year for the most part. And they ask basically it's one question per core area. What's going well that we need to keep doing? Mm-hmm. What's an area that we need to, improve upon or keep an eye on those type of things. Yeah. And then in that manner, because there's always different, um, somebody's coming in here, because there's <laughs> different, you know, ebbs and flows to the school year, right. what happens when. Right. If you do those checkup surveys with staff and get staff input and your leadership team comes together, somebody's crawling in there. <laughs> um, you can see, Coach, that's yeah. fine. <laughs> it's it's um, like that. Uh... I, really believe, I really believe if you do those, that you keep the pulse of the staff at the forefront yeah. and it's a collective collaborative way to yep. keep things going at the end of the year. You're not frustrated. Yep. So I encourage anybody to do those type of, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I encourage any, any school or class or district to do like, <laughs> 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 to do, uh, to do those checkup surveys yeah. because that's what's going to be sustainable for staff. It's a great point. I no, and I like I liked your point at the not just polling, but you make an action plan. And mm-hmm. would you say that's where a lot of districts struggle is they're they're really good about collecting data or information, mm-hmm. but just that idea of creating an action plan, something that is going to address those. Do you think that's where a lot of districts struggle? And then that leads to really uh, as a result, more burnout or kind of that climate and culture declining? Like, what do you think is the main result of, of districts struggling to put together that plan? Confronting brutal truth. I mean, the, here's, here's the thing with seeking feedback. You have to be willing to accept the feedback you get. So if yeah. you put out a checkup survey, that says what's an area in our system alignment that we want to keep an eye on. And it comes back on, um, is going on. <laughs> um, they come back on like, hey, cell phones or tardies or whatever management thing you want to be comes back as an issue. Yeah. What are you going to do to fix it? Yeah. And kind of, I had a street sign I got from one of my professors and it said, fix it or live with it. So we can, you Great can complain point. about it. That Great doesn't really good. Either fix the problem or yeah. live with it. Good point. And that's where the beneficial thing that you have to question is that what people struggle with? Making a concrete action plan. Some people get the feedback and, yeah. Is it that big of a problem? Well, if, if the consensus, you can't address everything, comes back like cell phones are an issue or tardies or whatever the issue is mm-hmm. or, you know, sub-coverage, what's the plan to fix it? Right. And that really became, I believe, a linchpin for 
um, when I was a middle school principal on how we, we, we kept improving type of things. Yeah. We just started implementing it here. Yeah. And, and to me, if you have four, in our district, four buildings that are highly functional, then yeah. you have a highly functional district. Yeah, absolutely. So, so on that, if you implement a plan, like we've done it with cell phones this year, we've, a pretty yeah. good plan, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, and everybody says we need to take care of cell phones. What do you do if you're the building principal? What do you do if you have that mm-hmm. one teacher that's like, I'm not going to do it. They they complain about the cell phone policy, but they're not going to be part of the solution. How how do you handle that? Confront, confront, brutal honesty in a professional manner. You have the conversation, whether it's a crucial or critical conversation on. Because former middle school principal, that was an issue, and it, it is typically not the majority of the staff. It's the outliers who. You know, when I say be consistent, you have to be consistent, right? Yep. Because yep. if the three of us, we have a rule, but like Justin's the, the night <laughs> teacher lets kids use their cell phones at inappropriate times, it makes it more difficult for the ones who are holding them to the standard. That's right. what accountability is. As the leader of the building, and I do believe everything rises and falls to leadership, it's the leader of the building's responsibility to have that conversation with staff members and say, this is a non-negotiable. The staff, the consensus of staff is we're going to whatever, you know, right. implement the yeah. cell phone uh, practice you have to have a conversation with a staff member and then you offer them coaching and support yeah. and follow-up is very important yeah it's, it's about being professional it's about having a good relationship with them it's not about you know here's the thing about me guys is when i was younger you know i played minor league football for a long time in college and all that when i was younger i was more of i'm gonna be a bulldozer i'm a middle right. linebacker i'm gonna come at you when we get older you start learning to take angles better like i don't need to learn how to read a play i'll just run there you got to be strategic about it. You have to start taking angles, especially mm-hmm. in, in my latter couple of years of my career. I had to be more strategic yeah. on, I don't think I'll just take that thing head on. You take a good angle, those types of things. And that's how you, that's how you get further with people. You treat them with respect right. and, you know, the, the, the Simon Sinek, I know you guys know who he is, yep. you know, big, the why, yeah. you know, why are we doing this to the staff? So yeah. to me, Chris, to answer your question, the leader of the building has to be able to have the conversation with staff member because it's for the greater good. It's not, you know, yeah, because my rule, hey, this is what we came up with. Well, we had that before when we <clears throat> we had a no hats, no hoods policy a few years ago, you know, probably about four or five years ago. And you'd have the majority of the staff that would take care of it, deal with it, tell them, you know, you'd they'd have that fight with the kid if they had to. Yeah. Um, and then you'd walk by a class and there'd be kids with <clears throat> hats and hoods on. So then you have those leaders in the building that would follow the policy and implement it. Then they're like, well, why am I doing this? Because yeah. all you hear in your classroom is, well, they let me do it. All right. And it just kind of crumbles from the inside. So that's <clears> – <throat> so I, I like that you don't say you send a mass – just a mass email, yeah. <laughs> t- you know, mm-hmm. telling everybody. It's Yeah, yeah it's got to be one of those things that's taken care of with yep. those individual teachers. Because it mm-hmm. you have the teachers that are following it and, like, are, are hardcore on it or not even that, but yeah. – you know, and then all of a sudden they're like, well, what's, what's the point of even doing this? So then they start to like lax on it as well. And then it just becomes a moot point. And it, yep. But, what's, the, what's the saying? Ships don't sink because of the water around them. It sinks because of the water gets inside them. Mm-hmm. And I also believe, I learned a lot about what true leadership really was at in my previous district and owning it, you know, extreme ownership, Jocko Willick. Yep. Google him, yep. Oh yeah, we got the and, books. Great guy. Yeah. Okay, you know, you have to be able to will and stand as a building principal in this case. You have to go and stand in front of students, whether it's once or twice a year, and say, here's our, I'm going to say, here's our three or five big rocks. One of them is Ohass and Hood. Mm-hmm. And here's the deal. You're always going to be asked respectfully to take it off. And if you don't comply, then you're going to talk to me. Right. It's not about being trying to be scary or whatever. It's just, 
There's the expectation. Here's the standard. And then decentralized way. I mean, yeah. a building principal can't be in every class and simultaneously. People no. have to enforce a standard because if that's what the collective will will. That's yep. what consensus is. It's not a unanimous vote. It's consensus. No, it's consensus. Yep. Yeah. Here's our standard. Yep. And that's the funny thing you say consensus because there's a lot of policies, not just in our handbook, but across the districts in the state that are put there because teachers at one time as a consensus said it was an issue, right? So we want a policy in the handbook. Well, you would think then if it's in the handbook and it was made by teachers, that should be what everybody follows. Um, but whatever the reason is, and I get it, you know, as a first year teacher, or even as a teacher after 15 years, there are times where I'm sitting in class. And I'm like, gosh, do I want to have this battle again? Uh. Like I've told that kid every day not to have their hood on and I get it. Yet on the same token, we get we get an abundance of what we permit, right? And the moment you say I'm going to let this go, you just lost all credibility, right? Um, there's no way of coming back from that. It's going to be ten times harder. Right. And so I think you're right. And I think communication is a lost art, don't you? Um, do you see that with a lot of newer teachers, um, just because they're trying to survive? You, do you see them shutting down more? Or communication is kind of kind of slowing down or do you see because it is such a hectic field right now that there is a lot more communication but it's in the form of maybe complaining or venting or you know other forms no that's a good question i think it really comes down to that person's capacity at that point in time through all different experiences of going to school where our student teaching Mm -hmm. was those type of things i mean you talk about policy which, you know, as a superintendent, I say, I don't hide behind policy. I stand next to it and say, here's the standard. Oh, yeah. And you said something that makes me laugh because every policy out there is because somebody did something they shouldn't have done, so they made a policy <laughs> right. for it. Right? Yep. There's not a to make one. Yep. So, like, I know I've been in the past for people like, oh, the policy, you're high. like, I don't hide behind policy. Here's here's the framework by which you operate. Mm. Iowa code or policy yep. those type of things because, it's, you know, most policy is written in general terms, it doesn't, it's not usually black or white, but yeah. it's a general term on the way it, it outlines for that. You know, you guys are probably going to think I'm getting soft, but <laughs> I've also have almost three years of experience where no hats, no hoods. And when I went to Western City High School, it was always an issue with hats and hoods. Mm-hmm. Yep. And now, now you pull back now, and there's, for some students, there's a legitimate reason. I know you probably think I'm getting soft. They might have a hood up because right. they want to be isolated. They want to mm-hmm. maybe dampen out noise or outside stimuli or I'm not yeah. honest, maybe some anxiety issues, those types of things. Yeah. So it's one of those things like before you start carrying a fence down, maybe know why it's put up. Yeah. I get there's reasons, safety reasons why you can't have hats and hoods yeah. and some type of thing. But it's definitely not 1950 anymore. No. Yeah. So yep. I'm not a bleeding heart where I'm like, well, we'll just do whatever people want. <laughs> I'll sometimes dig, in, dig into the cause on like what's worth battling what's not worth battling yeah nope you know? you're right well and well, that's yeah. that's always what i always kind of brought up is like okay and we battled it and it was such a pain because you'd have to fight kids and like why well it's policy i'm like it, mm-hmm. and if we're not going to enforce it and we don't, don't think it's worth enforcing let's take it out of the policy because then we don't have to worry about the fight with the kids in there yeah um but yeah not like i've kind of changed too i'm like if they were there as long as it's appropriate you know yeah. who cares if they wore a hat you know, we were, shoot, we wear jeans every, or I, I yep. can wear jeans every day. Now I'm like, it doesn't change how I teach. Yep. You know, it's just, yeah. so, yeah. uh, man, we've had, it goes to, it goes to like safety. Like, yeah. Here's my idea. Like you guys are a metro area where 
is it, and I'm not trying to scare anybody, but is it feasible somebody from another school could come and walk in their school and nobody would know who they are? And I don't know if you have student IDs and stuff like that. To mm-hmm. me, one way you can articulate, the reason we don't wear hoods is we have to be able to identify students. Yeah. In, a, in, a, in a school, your district size, yeah. everyone pretty much knows everybody. But somebody yeah. who walks with a hood yeah. or a face covering on who they are, yeah. they could be from another school district. I get a rural community yeah. is probably different. So yeah. if it's a safety issue, then it's not even behind the policy, it's a safety issue because we have to be able to identify everybody every day yeah. for safety reasons. Because if you want to say, well, nothing ever bad happened here, mm-hmm. you sure about that? Yeah. So yeah. you have to have a good why in oh. my mind. Yeah. Yes. We've had you on here almost the an hour, oh, hour, hour and a half. half. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, hey, it is yeah. a new record. We might have to make this a two part. <laughs> two, <laughs> two part fine. Episode. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So, we'll set the bar for him. So, hey, before we let you go and hang out with your family, and I got to see if my kids are burning down the house upstairs. Um, as, as a veteran in education, what's a piece of advice that you would offer new educators? Just getting into the profession. I would really recommend just making sure you communicate very well because the, the, the learners of today, they, they, they say they're changing every like three years now. So think about it. You go to college, you be a, an educator, and just the fundamental ways students have learned mm-hmm. and what's relevant change by the time they get out of school. So the pedagogy and social practice, so you know relationships, you know, communicate and always strive to be engaged in continuous improvement to be a learner yourself mm-hmm. because that's the only way you're going to be successful. I mean, if, if I had not, if I had remained the way I was 29 years ago when I first got education, then I would be very unsuccessful because the world changes. If you mm-hmm. don't change with it, that's where you're at. And yeah. education has changed a lot just in the last, I'm going to say, four years. Yeah. Um, I mean, four years ago, this type of meeting was really rare. It was what Skype. Yeah, yeah, yeah now, it was. Can you imagine not? Can you imagine not operating now without Zoom or Google Meet. Oh, no. So, so it's just those types of things you have to be willing. To, you know, people are like, oh, I hate technology. Well, you better get used to it. That's the way of the world. <laughs> yeah, it's not so, going away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No good piece of so, advice. Yeah. Oh. That's my quickie advice right there. <laughs> hey, next time we do this, we'll have to do it when you're around Des Moines. We'll have to do it in person. So. Yeah, I can do that. Yeah, yeah we can do yeah, that. Yeah. You're yeah. Back, I would be honored to be on. You That's guys know awesome. I have nothing with the highest success for you oh, guys. Stop I love it. you guys. <laughs> we greatly appreciate this, yeah. Coach. This has been amazing. I've been, been looking forward to this for the last couple of weeks. I know. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. been awesome. We'll have we'll have you some new. Are really G rated too. Right? <laughs> See, yeah. <laughs> well, so. we didn't we didn't get too worked up because you're our guest. We were putting you in the hot seat. I, <laughs> Crippens is really going to go off the rails this afternoon. <laughs> I'm going to have to look at that one. Yeah. Right. yeah. So it could no, last ten minutes. It could last an hour. I don't know. Knows? We'll figure it out. Yeah. No, we're uh, we're moving here. At, geez, couple months, I think. So we're going to have a permanent spot for <clears throat> where we're going to have this podcast. Right now, we're in we're in the basement, and there's crap everywhere, boxes and everything. So um, we're we're moving into my grandma. And, my grandma and grandpa's house, so we're gonna have a nice little spot. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah so looking forward to that. But yeah, so let's keep in touch, man, because we'll definitely have you when you're in, in person. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, totally. And if I can, if I remember, Justin, like I'll send you the actual wordle. You said you wrote down the world. The question I asked the staff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you wouldn't mind, um, I can. Yeah, I can. Yeah, I. 
public education, man. You have to beg, borrow, steal. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. No kidding. Yep. No, that's I, awesome. I, I love that. I'm sharing with you guys. Yep. So, so, that's yeah, good. So. We appreciate having you on here. I'm glad we could talk to you. I'm honestly honored you guys asked me this. Oh, this stop is, it. This is I could probably this talk all day with you guys about your questions. So, <laughs> you want to do a, a, another one with me someday? Well, yeah. we can certainly do that. Absolutely. So. Absolutely, man. So, Well, have a good new year, Coach. Yeah. It was great talking to you. Uh, tell your family it's hello. We will yeah, do that. Safe yeah, travels back safe when, travels, you, when you head out. So, Well, all right. You guys take care. I'll talk to you soon. All right. See you. See, See ya. Take care, buddy.